0: Welcome to the Iron Woman Podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined by Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, we are catching you in a race week sandwich because you raced this past weekend and you're racing again this weekend. Um, you know, we we seem to be doing this a lot this year uh, between the two of us, but tell us about their 24-hour adventure race this past weekend. I saw, spoiler alert, I saw a podium pick. Yes, third place champion, Haley. We were <laughs> in the team. Was the third place champion. Okay, wait, but... I want to talk about your prize. It looked like you had a pint glass in your hand, but it looked like first place got donuts. I, I was like, that was actually where I was most sad for you. I was like, oh, that's a good first place prize.
2: I, we did see the the thing of donuts and we're like, Ooh, that's nice. And then, um, Kit from strong machine adventure racing team, which was the winner. And they got the donuts. She was like holding the donuts. And we were talking afterwards. And I probably was just like staring at the donuts the whole time. Cause she was like, I was like, Oh, that's a good prize. You got some donuts. And she's like, Oh, do you want one? She's like trying to open the thing and give me. So, and I was like no no, yes, no donuts are for winners you get to keep them because I mean you, they have like it was a lot of donuts but I mean there is like four people on the team and if everyone you know you've got to you didn't want to take one from the winners because they looked delicious but she was going to be very kind we didn't share the winning oh, donuts with me but what a they, gracious champion I know <laughs> that but I think all the yeah all the podium did get a pine glass so that's always a nice useful keepsake as well from a race so yeah.
0: have you um, celebrated at all did you like throw some uh anything in there, water, <laughs> and just try to rehydrate. Uh, uh, I guess you need something. You put your coffee in there. You need like <laughs> caffeine to like keep yourself going, uh, and like get yourself home back on the podcast? Pretty much. But I, you know, Haley,
2: am doing the classic coach Hillary Biscay um, recovery activities by basically doing a triathlon today. So (laughs) I, you know, had an easy swim. Everything was very easy, but an easy swim, an easy jog, an easy spin. And the thing I have found with racing on back-to-back weekends throughout the years is that like, basically you get the first one over with and, but you like, have to make sure your body doesn't just shut down and go into recovery mode. So I respond best when I do a good bit of activity in these like next two to three days. And then I rest again for the second one. And then I will have proper recovery after the second. So otherwise my body tries to just like go into total hibernation mode and I can't jumpstart it again for that second effort. So
0: that's um, interesting because honestly, I didn't do, I, um, well, I just—I talk about the what I did yeah. for the two days after yeah. when I did my double. I the first day I just went and did like a ten-minute swim at Key Largo, in open water, and then the next day I did like a fifteen-minute swim at the Venetian pool in Miami, Ooh, which is like a very very. Posh. It was really yeah. Well, no, it's just really pretty. It's like a quarry, and Whoa. it doesn't quite really have lanes, so that's why it was like. But, and I did some walking and then I got on an international flight. I think with the international flight coming up, it was like, there's no staying awake. True. <laughs> but true. I did do some work in between the two to wake myself up after that flight. But um, I also had nine days. I had a little bit longer than what we have right now. But yeah. were you happy with your performance? Uh, you know, were you happy with the team's performance? Do you want to yeah, we committee? were
2: we were pretty happy. I mean, adventure racing is just so interesting because there's like 8 million layers of it, right? And there's just every race is different. Like, you know, the navigation is always going to be different. There's like always these little traps to fall into with things. But I feel like in terms of kind of controlling the controllables, which there are still some, even though it seems like there's a lot of uncontrollables in adventure racing a lot of the time. Um, I feel like our team is doing a really good job of like making progress with those things. Like, um having faster transitions uh we're having really good paddling sections now so last year at nationals and then this race we kind of exceeded our own expectations with the paddling which is good because we used to really struggle in that and lose a decent amount of time um and just our team dynamics are coming together really well like we're feeling out the pacing of each other and strengths and weaknesses of each other really well and communication is good we actually brought on a fourth team member for this one and our friend from around here. And it was like pretty seamless. I think he kind of, you know, came into the group and we like had things dialed and figure out. I don't think he felt like he was just racing with a bunch of like jabronis, you know, like, I feel like we're like slowly starting to dial things in. And, um, the fact that we could take someone who it was only his like second adventure race and first 24 hour adventure race and kind of get him through a successful race with us, I think was good too. Um, but it was a lot of fun. It's just, it was crazy. Like the a lot of times with these races, you don't see anyone for most of the race. And you really have just a giant question mark as to like who got what points, and you know, depending on the format of the race, and like you'll cross paths with people, but you never really know who is in front and who is behind. Um, but this particular race setup was a very linear course, and so and you had to get every checkpoint and you had to get them in order, which usually um the races we have been doing it are not that set up. So this time, you know, as you came across teams, it was very clear that like, if you were going to the same checkpoint, that meant that you both had obviously gotten all the other ones because those were the rules. So, um, you had a better idea of like who was where and you knew then that they like also had to go to the next checkpoint. Um, it's not like you could like have picked different routes and gone to another one first or something like that. So, um, it kind of created with the teams that were there that we were racing against this like very head to head action, I guess, with, um, adventure racing, which is pretty unique. Like you're not usually kind of in a pack, so to say, (laughs) and racing in that sense. And that was really fun though, because we have gotten to know a lot of the other teams. Um, and it's, it's just so interesting. Like it's a very interesting dynamic because you're like nice to other teams and you like have these conversations as you're like, you know, riding up this climb or whatever, but like everyone still has their own agenda and is trying to like get out of there first and like sneakily find the point while no one else does and things like that. Right. So, um, it is, it's just, it's interesting and and fun. And I think that, um, as people kind of spectate this sport more, I think a a day and night like that was actually pretty entertaining for the people watching. So that was good too. But um, I
0: didn't realize adventure racing as a spectator sport outside yeah. of like eco challenge on, you know, whatever, whatever streaming service it was on. Yeah. That they was- actually
2: have really good tracking and in like, like adventure racing discussion groups on Facebook, go figure. Right. But, um, where the dot watchers as they're called have these, like, you know, Uh, they'll post with screenshots of what people are doing and ask questions and be like, why do you think this team's doing that? Or like, oh man, this team picked that route. And now they're like stuck on a cliff or like, you know, whatever. Um, And so there is, you know, like uh, uh, definitely some, you know, it's not a huge group, but there is certainly a community that's doing it. And then I think the races are really trying to build the sport in the US. And so they're doing a lot more on social media and Instagram and like taking, you know, little videos and clips and things of the competition um and they're doing a really good job with that so it is impressive that they're building that kind of early in adventure racing versus i think you know what we've seen with triathlon where it's been going on for forever and we're like oh yeah maybe we should
0: think about having people watch
2: this very exciting sport right
0: oh it's like 45 years it's not forever <laughs> i mean i was talking to someone about uh the Boston Marathon this morning and when we both ran it in 2008 and I was talking about how like afterwards I was on my like you know flip phone t9 (laughs) texting people afterwards and it's after and it's like whoa I mean I guess it has been 15 years but I'm like yeah. There was no like iPhone. I wasn't taking a f- selfie of myself. Like, I think I had to order, I did order a photo that like came in the mail later. Yeah, I, me my too. I don't know where it is now. I wish oh, I still, I, I'm like, I have I'm sure it's still, in a box somewhere or something like yeah. that, but it, there was no, like, otherwise there's no photo evidence that I was there. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, wait, uh, before we die, ta- I do want to talk about Boston, but before we talk about that, like what is coming up this weekend? Uh, mm-hmm. it is a swim run race, right? Your very first mm-hmm. swim run race. very first swim run race so
2: it's swim run lake james which is in like nebo north carolina which i think is just outside of Asheville. and so it is i'm doing the long course and i am racing with my team for one water in august so i'm racing with two guys but typically like all the other teams at the swim run will be teams of two so we have special permission um from the race director who race director is also our fourth teammate for the race in Sweden in August. So she mm-hmm. let that approval happen, um, so that we can get, you know, practice racing as a team of three. And, um, but we're racing the long course, which I believe is like 17 ish miles of running, maybe 14, 14 to 17 miles of running on trails. And then six and a half K I think of swimming. So, um, so a short one for you. Very, well, I very know. Kind of 24 Ooh, yeah. hours. Yeah. So it should hopefully be over pretty quick, but I'm looking forward to it. Like I was t- starting to really look at the segments and stuff. And some of the swims are really short, like 50 meters, hundred meters. And I'm Whoa, like, Oh, that will be fun. You meters. just like get in and kind of, yeah, like go across. Right. So, um, I'm yeah, I, I technically have done a swim run because I did when Savage man still existed Poor race. I want, let's bring back Savage man, everyone. So Savage man existed in last year's is like a three day multi-day festival. And day one that evening race was a swim run prologue but it was like a super sprint and it was 250 meter swim and then a mile run and I think we did that three times maybe um or like a half a mile run even but um and it was like a loop course so I feel like that was like a very like an appetizer version of swim run but I am excited and I plan to like it and then I plan to trick you into doing some so because I think you'd be like really good obviously at this so I do
0: feel like I would be good at it I don't know why I haven't done it I guess I just like um I don't think there's there isn't one locally and I think they're all like in the like spring or fall right oh that's like the swim run season kind of yeah yeah and I mean honestly some of it now I think they
2: are allowing solos a lot more but to find someone fast enough for you would be really hard I think too because Cause I'm like so you
0: elitist. Yeah. Like, please submit your <laughs> resume to-, <laughs> <laughs> to Ironman Podcast at gmail.com. Yes. yes,
2: that's a great idea. I will play matchmaker. We should do this. And like, and then we we don't have to do it in this season, but maybe in an upcoming year. I want to do it eventually. Yeah, yeah. applications come good. in. I will pick your partner, and it'll be you won't even know who it is until race day, and then they'll come <gasps> up. And be like, oh, this your is partner.
0: like it's like Love Is Blind, but yeah. for swim run. Yeah. <laughs> very yeah so send, in, said, send in your applications everyone iron at gmail.com okay well I know you just made it back from uh your race but did you catch any of the Boston Marathon this morning uh Ooh. you know I think in the past we've accidentally recorded or had interviews during the marathon and I was really proud of us when I realized uh we were we recording after and I was like yes I get to watch
2: yeah I picked up the dogs and I was running a little behind because Sleep was a hot commodity overnight last night, Um, but I got to see the last like 90 minutes of the men's race and two hours or so of the women's race. And it looked like, a, in, did anything interesting happen in that first hour? I guess that's like, well, did you miss the I wheelchair? You. Did you miss the wheelchair races? I did, but I got to see, I think I maybe saw the
0: finish line interview. Um, okay. Cause that was yeah. pretty exciting. Um, Hoog, I think it's Marcel Hoog broke the course record, which I think he held and that was just like so impressive. I thought that actually the coverage, the wheelchair races was really cool. Um, and then Susanna Scaroni from the US, which I actually mm-hmm. think she's from like a small town in Washington near where my mom grew up. So my mom is like, a huge fan of her. Um, and so, yeah, I always get like random, like my mom will text her call and be like, Susanna's winning. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so it's like um, she won, but, and I think she, I read something, I didn't see this, but she had a mechanical uh during the race and was able to like fix it with an Allen key. And then, like, oh my goodness, this sounds like trafon And I do think Manuela Shar, who was the um maybe defending champion, got a flat. And that was mm-hmm. something I think that when we talked to Lauren Parker, who uh raced St. George and Kona about how easy it is to get a flat in those racing chairs. Like I never realized that until we talked to her. And they did have like a lot of rain and wet conditions. And so it made it a little bit a little bit more challenging. And they were, I think the commentators they had, um, oh, I'm blanking on her name. The woman who was commentating Amanda McGrory, I think, uh, was a teammate of Susanna and did a really good job. Like I've also just like talking about, you know, the, the intri- just parts of wheelchair racing that I wouldn't necessarily know about. Like how it's very different for them to go over railroad tracks and, oh. uh, versus, you know, Ilya Kupchogi in his yeah. super shoes. So it's, yeah. I don't know. And and then it, I just, it, I never realized how easy it was to get a flat. And that was until Lauren talked about it in St. George, how like hills can just like, you know, they're just fragile tires and wheels. So anyway, that was, those were fun to watch. You missed that. Um, I'm guessing you got the bulk of, uh, the, uh, men's and women's races in, uh, in Boston, but Emma Bates, I mean, she went for it. Like that was, you know, first American finisher, fifth place overall. Pretty cool. Did you catch a uh, Helen Obiri, the champion? Uh, did you catch her finish line speech? Um, I, I remember it being on
2: <laughs> My brain. is like not working. I remember seeing her and her daughter. And then I, and like, I remember yes, her daughter was the like, daughter, the best. like, I think they asked the daughter, huh, like, are yeah. you proud? She was like, yeah. And then
0: they were like, did Her she do a good like, job? And she was like, yeah. Her daughter <laughs> was like not impressed. Her daughter, Tanya, <laughs> like stole the show because she was just like, oh, she, she was like job. waving to
2: some people like, oh yeah, we'll be there in a second. Like, hold on. Mom's like talking to people. Like, I remember watching that part. I unfortunately did not hear what she was saying too much other than that, but, well,
0: I think um, she, but that was very cute. Yeah, she, I, I mean, she based, she signed up for the race two weeks ago. Oh, I, okay, and yeah, so she was like the last yes. entry and- I mean, I thought of her when she was running too, though, because her arm drive is like so impressive. It reminded me of Tamara Jewett. And I'm like, I've got to work on this because they're like, you know, she was a 1500 meter runner. Like, uh, so she's, she, when they were coming down to those, like that last mile, um, she was definitely everyone's pick because of the speed she's shown on the track. And it was, she like goes to her arms and it was like, I got to learn. No incredible to watch. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No, I, I thought the women's race was really cool. I was like, I was just waiting to see, you know, with the five women there, I was like, oh man, this is going to be fun. Right. Cause it's just like so much more exciting when there's a little pack and you're like, when's it going to, when's, who's going to make the move? Who's going to go for it? Um, it but looked it hard. Was, Everyone looked very oh, yeah. tired
0: and very wet.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I think it was humid and like, oh, that always kind of builds and then like can break you too. So, and then, um, the woman and I'm my brain again, I apologize. My names are not good, but, um, she fell in the orange and then she like got back up and yeah. Together, Yesh- right? to-
0: yeah. Um Yashina. Yashina, I think, um, she, and she had gotten second last year, but that was a bad fall. Like she, and she finished fourth. Yeah. That was very impressive. She like really went down. And then, um, that was, that was really, really impressive. I think, um, from our past Iron Woman guests, I kind of was trying to keep track. Mm-hmm. Nell Rojas finished 14th. Mm-hmm. 224, which I was like, wow, it's so So fast. fast. I can't believe 224 gets you 14th. Like that's how deep that, that women's field is. Oh, wow. Um, And then Jordan brings three white horses. Whetstone went 316. Sika Henry, 309. And Shawana White, 332. So cool to see some of the, uh, our past guests tearing it up in Boston. I, I like, have you read it since 2008 when we both ran it? Um, I do think, I think I maybe ran it in 2000 and
2: no, I think six, seven and eight or five, five, seven and eight maybe were the years I ran.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have like vague memories of it, but like it is when I watch it, it's like so different and I didn't know. Oh, it's gotta athletes. be so
2: different now. I feel like. like someone was asking actually, like my athlete was asking about like the thing and I was like, I don't even think I should tell you what I remember because. I'm pretty sure the whole like starting line area and like all of that is probably quite different than especially the first year I did it when I signed up
0: 2 weeks beforehand. Right. Know? Yeah, when I didn't so like, I, yeah. I signed up in like January and then yeah. April. You were like you were pulling a Helen O'Berry when you first did it. You just signed up 2 weeks before. Well, <laughs> well that was I wasn't qualify until 2 weeks before I ran my first marathon and and so like yeah, I mean it was a I different a world. Very
2: different outcome than Helen. And then we got but. to <laughs>
0: That's okay. Not all of us can sign up two weeks and then win. Um, and then I know I am like, my memories are like texting from my flip phone. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I was like, I know the walk was, and it's funny. Cause like, I remember the walk from where they stage you to like the corrals is being long, but I'm like, it's probably like five times as long now, you know, like. See, I don't um... even remember
0: that being that long because I was like late. I think I've talked about this on here because my bus was late. And then I stayed in the poor oh, right. line yeah. forever. And so like, I feel like I almost missed the start. Like, I just thought that was how it was. Like, I thought it was like this, there's just no time. They just like, yeah. drop you off and you got to go. And, um, but yeah, that was, that was an experience, but congratulations to, to everyone who ran Boston. I mean, it, I had a, I had definitely some like feelings while watching it where I was just like, I'm so motivated to like be an athlete.
2: <laughs> oh man. Yeah. No, I think it always, and it's like, I don't know. I love that it's on a Monday and it's like,
0: it is yeah, cool that it's you, on a Monday, you know? Yeah, no, that's good. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, wait, wait, when we mailbot mailbag, are we ready for mailbag? <laughs> sorry. yes,
2: I am ready. Yeah. I was gonna, um, should like, I read ready? it? I'll I, read you this yeah, question. We have mailbag from an anonymous Instagrammer, we will call them. So they want to know how to recover from overtraining. They switched coaches late last year, realized, um, that the coach was putting them into a training hole and like their max effort speed is a pace that used to be kind of aerobic and comfortable for them. So their question is twofold. How do you know if they're over, if you're overtraining other than friends on Strava pointing it out to you, And how do you recover without just, you know, stopping resting and losing all your fitness? And a bonus third question is how do you ensure your new coach or your self-coach doesn't do it again? And this is a good question, anonymous Instagrammer. So I don't know. I think the first thing for overtraining is, I mean, I'm a huge fan of like logging workouts (laughs) So that's like one of the first things if I'm working with an athlete that I really try and be super annoying and pester them about is like logging workouts, logging workouts, giving all of the information you can do this, whether you are self-coached or have a coach or whatever. And like, I know my personal philosophy is it's like very rare that I'm telling someone you're giving me way too information. Like, can you, can you thin this down or something? Um, usually I want like more details to kind of color in like, you know, this didn't feel good, but like, oh, but I had my child awake last night and didn't get any sleep, right? Like those kinds of details help um, figure out like, was the fatigue from last week's all the like athletic endeavors, you know, and all the training from last week, or is the fatigue from busy life stress and things like that. And trying to like all of those you want to be cognizant of, but if you have a training log and you can kind of look at that and you're looking and saying, this person is saying, or myself is saying like, I'm really tired. This felt awful (laughs) time after time, after time, that's a good time to take a recovery week. Right. And like, see how that goes. And I think if you're doing that and like taking time to recover and take a solid week, right. Like take a whole week of active recovery, very light, um, really focus on nutrition and sleep and all of that. And like, if you're not really feeling better, um, Take another recovery week, quite honestly, right? Like go get your blood work done, go, you know, make sure the vitamin D levels, make sure iron's good. Like start checking those boxes. As soon as you just start to be like, something doesn't look quite feel quite right. And a lot of times I think athletes are just programmed to keep pushing through. Cause we often do like, as part of being an athlete, push through when we're tired, push through when we don't feel good. And that training log really helps us like notice the pattern. Like if you have more days where you're On the crappy end of the spectrum, with how you check off that you feel like that shouldn't be the case. So I think that's probably how I would say is a good way to like zero in on that overtraining aspect. But Haley, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I would add for myself. I I do wear a heart rate monitor like a lot of the time, and I think especially on the bike, like I will do a lot of bike sessions that I repeat, you know, or just even like pretty aerobic rides, um, or I'll ride like the same route. That's like a 90 minute or two hour ride route. And that's, I kind of use that a lot as like, uh, like, how am I feeling? What is my heart rate? Is it about normal? And if it was excessively high or excessively low, um, mean like not excited, like 10 beats per minute, you know, higher, or lower than usual. I might like question it. And then I also go, go off of perceived exertion. Um, you know, is, does this feel wrong? So it doesn't even have to be like a really hard session. Um, and then it is like on hard sessions, you know, am I not making intervals that usually I can make? Um, and how does my heart rate look on this? Like for running, um, and for cycling, I, I don't really use heart rate for swimming. And, um, but I think like, that's something that I watch. Like I watch for myself. And then I also pay attention to my sleep. Can I, am I having trouble sleeping? Mm -hmm. I think that that's sometimes an indication. Um, and I think, um, as far as like, like, how do you recover without stopping? I mean, I think you, you can stop or you can just keep things really mellow, go for some walks. And I just don't think you're really going to lose all your fitness that quick. I think that part of it, like you don't want to stop and lose fitness. Like I think you can stop and still maintain fitness. And also, if you are overtraining, you're probably like not really actually that fit.
2: Yeah, and that's so what there's I was not say. that that's much like, to lose. Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> like you're in a bad spot. Like you need to get your healthy, otherwise, otherwise something's gonna break. You know, and that's mm. gonna like take you out of it for longer.
2: Yeah, I mean, you think about people like for me, it's like, sometimes it's like, you can think about all these women now who are showing us that you can, you know, have like, not do that much while you're pregnant, have a baby, take all this time off and still like come back. And right. And so like, I always think about those women. Sometimes I'm like, if people can take time off to like grow a baby, have the baby, like be patient coming back. And then they, you know, so you do have tons and tons of time that you could totally shut things down if like you really needed to. Right. And so, but chances are you're not going to have to like rest for nine months. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like two weeks might feel like nine months to someone or something like that, but just like you uh, sometimes taking that time off and getting to a point where you feel very unfit is like the best thing you can possibly do, um, to come back fitter than ever eventually, you know, and it just, you have to kind of keep that long long like goal in mind and remember that it's like especially with endurance it's like such a building Community. block right cumulative process week over week season over season and um it's yeah you just you just have to cue in on that patience and find some hobbies to not make you think about missing sleep. running sleep and, and sleep. eating yeah. and eating <laughs> yeah.
0: those should be your hobbies yeah, um, I wanted to add like her third question about how do you ensure your new coach slash self coach doesn't do it again. Um, I do think a lot of this is on the athlete. Um, I mean, I think that your coach is like you said, going off of what information you are giving them. Um, and so it is like, I just always consider like my own health to be like, my, my, I, no one cares about it as much as I do. And so I, that is like, I'm watching, you know, my heart rate and making sure that I note that like, I'll tell my coach, like, what do you think about this? But I'm not waiting for someone to tell me I need to rest. I mean, maybe Mm -hmm. if there was a pattern as a coach, when I put on like my coaching hat, if there was a pattern where like, you're trying to do a session athlete, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. Um, probably at a certain point, it's like, okay, we're going to stop trying. And like, change tactics. But a lot of the times, I mean, it is like, no one cares about your health as much as you, no one cares about your racing as much as you. And so taking some of that responsibility and, um, and just logging your workouts, being honest with you, how you actually feel and then using data, you know, when, when it makes sense. Yeah. I think that's all really good points.
2: I don't think I have anything to add. So hopefully this helps our anonymous questioner uh, and people can send in questions anonymous or otherwise to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And we will try to answer them in our mailbag sections.
0: Yeah. But we have a fun, we have a fun interview this week. Um, It has to do with my favorite thing, uh, other than triathlon, <laughs> it does have to do with triathlon too. But also, Cowboy, cowboy is coming on the Iron Man podcast. Okay, <laughs> cowboy. Cowboy does. I have a fun cowboy story for post for the outro. For the outro, you have to wait and hear. I hear the great interview first, but then I do. There is there is a cowboy connection to this whole story. But okay. um, who are we chatting with this week? We are gonna keep people really enthralled through the outro today. So um, we are talking
2: to Leslie Patterson, who is a Scottish professional triathlete, triathlon coach, screenwriter and film producer, we have mostly known Leslie as the triathlete who won the 2011, 2012, and 2018 XTERRA World Championships, but today we get to talk to Leslie as she took a break from award season to chat with us about life as a screenwriter and executive producer of All Quiet on the Western Front, which had nine Oscar nominations this year and won the BAFTA Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. We loved getting a sneak peek into this side of her life, and we think you will too. So our chat with Leslie is up next after a word from our sponsors. Hi, Leslie. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, gals. How's it going? Oh, we are good. We are so excited that you. we were able to steal some minutes and talk to you about everything you've had going on in your life lately. Um, And it has been a busy season for you, but not maybe the typical athlete stuff you've been doing um I think you've kind of maybe entered like an off-season um from award season or something a little bit differently at <laughs> this time and as an athlete you're obviously familiar with like off-season breaks taking some time to reset and refresh you know not having a lot of structure or workouts um is is there an off-season in the film world like after award season are we done with award season are you like in a reset period right now
1: no no in a word so you know the thing about award season especially because this is my first one is all of a sudden these doors get opened and they only stay open for a short period of time so if you really want to kind of break out and utilize the heat then you have to work harder than before (laughs) so that's a hard that's a hard thing of it all you know you're so emotionally and physically exhausted and you can probably hear it in my nose that I'm like you know, I'm sick again. I've been sick about three times in the last six weeks. Um, yeah, just cause it's, it's so stressful, uh, you know, emotionally, physically, everything, you know, you're just kind of pushing the whole time through. And then now we have to push even harder. So it's like, mwah,
0: mwah. <laughs> Oh man, mm-hmm. that is tough, but this was your first award season. And I do want to hear more about it because I, I mean, I've, Never imagined um as a triathlete going to the Oscars, but now you have paved the way for all of us triathletes yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> yeah. what was it like? What was it like to go to the Oscars? Yeah, you know, it was a
1: really interesting experience. Um, I would have said that uh, so many parts of it lived up to it, so many parts um were underwhelming in so much as you know, you've built it up to be this big thing, it's really difficult for it to match that. Um, and in many ways, I would have said the BAFTAs were kind of a bit more fun. Um, it's known as a bit more of a fun awards, anyways, just in terms of the parties, and it's not quite so big. So, in some ways, you can let your hair down a touch. Um, but because the Oscars is such a big event, there's so much around it, like I was it's like preparing for a race, you know, you're nervous. I mean. You're nervous all the way through, especially because our film was nominated in so many different categories. Uh, And then our category, like my category specifically and the screenplay wasn't until later on in the night. I mean, you're nervous the whole time. So then, I mean, imagine how you feel before a big race. You know, it's not like, you know, you're looking at the view and you're looking around and you're going, oh, my God, this is so much fun. You're shitting it. So, do you know what I mean? So it's like a really bizarre thing, but yet you're not going to race. So there's no physical outlet. So it was an extraordinarily odd, odd experience. And then of course we didn't win. I really believed we were. And so there was like this intense disappointment, like I've never felt before because you're not prepared for it. And it happens in a second. And then there's this amazing joy because your film is done, is one still won four Oscars. So you're like flitting in and out. It it was it was the strangest experience I think I've ever had, to be perfectly honest.
0: How how do you let out that emotion? I mean, did you go to some after parties? Did you like talk with your team? I I mean, are you still is that like where the illnesses are coming from?
1: Yeah. So, you know, my biggest support has always been my husband. And obviously, you know, he's been a big uh, part of All Quiet anyway, because he is an uncredited writer, but you know, he just turned to me and he said, Les, we're going to be on the stage together. You and me, don't you worry, kind of a thing. <laughs> and that was exactly what I needed to hear at the moment. But then, of course, you know, you can't really show any of that because you're in a public setting. Um, And then everyone's telling you, have a great time, have a great time, have a great time. And you're, like, desperately disappointed. Like... <laughs> you know it's 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 a really difficult thing to express imagine losing a race and you have no control over it and it's the biggest race of your life and it it could change everything for you and then everyone's telling you yeah but there's a great party afterwards and your team won so go out and party like you know do you know what i mean it's 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 really really strange uh and um but then the other side of it, you know, you're really trying to sort of hit yourself going, for God's sake, like this is unbelievable. And so you're looking around and you're trying to, it, again, like a lot of that comes more post-event than it does during the event itself because you're so overwhelmed with the experience that, you know, it's almost like after the the fact you're you're kind of soaking it in more than sort of during it. But probably the best thing about all of these awards has been to... I uh, get to meet some of my idols, and then other sort of like really top artists. That all of them are so, so nice, and you're like, you know, getting a hug from Kate Blanchett, and then you're, you know, chatting with, you know, Florence Pugh, and then you're hanging out with Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and then you're just like, this is, but, but then it all becomes because i by the time I'd gotten to the Oscars, I'd gotten somewhat used to, to that. You just treat them as real people, you know, because they are, you know, so you just kind of have a chat, <laughs> you know, and, and you you stop going, oh, this is Idris Elba or this is whomever, you know, you're just like having a chat.
2: And Leslie, I'm like dying to know. I mean, I followed you a little bit through these awards, like the Baptist and the Oscars and everything. And I'm like, how do you even know? what to do like how do you know where to go where to stand where to sit what to yep. wear who yep. like do you have someone who's arranging all that whispering in your ear telling you how it's going to go or do you just so hope you yeah. have a friend so, who's like showing yep. you the way so this
1: this is a beauty of being part of a netflix film because netflix have a massive massive engine behind them so they had i i don't know how many pr people like but you're given your own point person And literally, they are walking you through everything that you need to do, talking points and this and that. And you have someone that's actually guiding you through the whole thing, which is incredible. Um, And if you didn't, you'd probably try and hire a PR person that would do that for you. Um, But they kind of give you the what's up. And then we've got a lot of friends in the industry as well that can give us kind of heads up. But in terms of like what to wear, I knew that most sort of, most women especially, you know, you can utilise this chance to maybe get a designer or get more publicity. Or so I was getting a lot of press after the the Oscar noms were out, and uh, and so I I had a big interview on uh, BBC Four Women's Hour, and I happened to mention I don't have a designer for the Oscars, you know, because I knew that that might trigger someone. And of course, a few reached out to me, so I just interviewed a few and then uh, managed to get on board with a wonderful, wonderful. A couple of guys called Kolchigov Barba, who are based in London, and they are brilliant. And they said, "Listen, we'll do your BAFTAs gown, we'll design your Oscars gown, a custom one." And then they they flew out from London, um, and they spent sort of uh, you know three four days in Los Angeles doing dress fittings, and that was that was totally cool, um, because like literally they're at the four C. Seasons in Beverly Hills, and like, you know, I've got friends get me facials on Rodeo Drive. And then I'm like driving down to the four seasons in Beverly Hills and like, you know, having my, you know, dressmakers do my Oscars. I mean, you couldn't make this shit up. You know what I mean? You're like, what? I feel like pretty woman, you know. <laughs> um, and then I had BBC and ITV were doing features on me, so all the cameras were there, and then you know there was a ton of publicity so then there's like literally you're in a room getting dressed by your designers then you've got like two cameras and this and that I mean it was bizarre it was you know because you know what it's like gals you know you you can kind of put your sneakers on and you maybe have a dress in the cupboard that you shove on here and there (laughs) but this was like on a whole other level
0: yeah. I was going to say, I don't know what it's like, but I did love your dress. I'm really, really into pink and yellow at the moment. And it it looks so good. You look so good. They did an incredible job. Um, I, I want to go to like the movie a little bit because, I I listened to your interview with Laura Siddle and you talked about how long the whole process had taken, you know, 16 years, I think. Right. And what did it feel like when you did, when you got to like sit and watch the full movie for the first time? Did you get to, or was it always in pieces?
1: No, we actually got to. So Um, When the first kind of real cut of the film is put together, Netflix sent us a link that we had 24 hours to watch. And this was Christmas 2021. And we sat there and it was myself, Simon, and my mother and father in law and sister in law and they'd been a big part of our journey anyway so it was like mega special and we sat down in the living room and we watched it and i i don't think i moved for the two and a half hours sweat coming down my palms like rigid the whole time and it was it was heartbreaking it was emotional it was amazing there were so many emotions cuz obviously it's incredibly difficult to film to watch anyways but then to see, you know, what has been done with your work and how it's been elevated and all of those things, you know, and then I spoke to Edward, our director. I gave him a call afterwards and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, and he was so relieved that we really liked it. Um, yeah, so it was it was just a really, a really cool. That was a really cool experience as well.
0: And then what about when it was released and you did you get feedback from friends, family critics did you do you read do you listen to the critics
1: yeah so well, it was a it was a real slow burn which is actually kind of good because when it comes to oscar contenders you know you kind of want a, a a sort of a runway right and uh, a little bit like code i did last year it kind of built word of mouth so um and netflix are kind of like their masters at this kind of thing so we had our premiere in Toronto at the film festival there. We went to that. They flew us up to that. And that was a whole to-do. And that was a fe- that was actually quite an odd experience as well. Because after the film, you know, you think, oh, you know, it's a great film. We're going to get a standing ovation. There's going to be a big to-do about it. And there wasn't. There was complete silence after the film ended. We're like, oh, my fucking God, they don't like our film. Like, what? But then we came to realise, of course, most people's reaction after they watch the film is they're just kind of speechless because it's so harrowing. It's not like you would stand up and clap for a Holocaust movie, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, and I think it, it's such an unusual film, and it's very different, and it's a sort of a trailblazer in terms of its anti-war nature and lack of heroism, that it was almost like people didn't know how to react to it. So it was a slow burn as it started to pick up steam. Uh, yeah. Uh, we got more and more people, you know, watching it and talking about it and all that.
2: And what about the process of that 16 years? You know, so much changed, right? And the evolution, I mean, I can't even really, I don't know the industry well enough to know everything, but I know that Netflix like evolved in that time, right? Which was a big part of the whole process for you in the end. And like, Did you have kind of mentors throughout that in the film industry that you were turning to, that were helping you, that you could, you know, ask questions to? Or was it you, like boots on the ground with your husband, figuring it all out yourselves?
1: Yeah, you know, I had a couple
2: of mentors, but not too many and
1: not many that were willing to roll up their sleeves and get in with us because they probably knew how difficult it was to get off the ground. And certainly when we started... It was myself, my husband Simon, and of course my 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 writing partner and producing partner at the time, Ian. And it was just ultimately like, okay, we're gonna learn how to adapt a major novel. And of course, I'd studied it at undergraduate and masters, but actually doing it's quite different. And doing something from the marketplace is different. And then it's like, okay, how the hell do you put a film together? Like a big film and a film which is German. Uh, Albeit when we started out, we were pitching it as English language with German uh, uh, accents because 16 years ago, you couldn't have raised the finance for a German speaking film. Foreign films were not popular back then. There wasn't a distribution outlets for us either. So much of the landscape was different. So you're really learning how to put together a film and that takes you down all these different paths you can't anticipate. So, you know, you're trying to get a director on board. We started off with German directors and we quickly realized that a lot of them were very scared of, of doing, redoing a, ma- a masterpiece. And what, you know, because it can either define your career or it can wreck it. And if you don't have a clear vision of how you want to do it, that's different, which, of course, Edward did. Then, you know, you're not going to going to pick it up. And then nobody wants to return your phone calls, your emails, you're nobody you know, the only reason they will is because of the title. And they're like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Why the heck have, have two no-named writer-producers got the the option to All Quiet? And so they might take your phone call because of that. But then as soon as you realise how difficult it's going to be, they sort of like either turn you down or, or whatnot. So we had some names attached, you know, periodically along the way. But again, you know, you quickly realise who can actually get things funded and who can't, or who might sort of add value to your package and who doesn't. And that's not actually that obvious to the outsider. It's only more obvious to the insider, and we were not insiders. So you're kind of guessing, right? And we did this dance for a long time until um, we had another producer on board and through his agency's lawyer... Uh, our director and his producer got hold of our script and this was 14 years into the journey and they said we we love your script would you consider doing it in German which of course we were um you know really I mean we thought it was amazing and it was the right timing because Parasite had just won for best picture and best foreign and mm. of course Sam Mendes 1917 had come along so World War One was all of a sudden a popular war to cover and uh yeah and we and we um and we said, gosh, that sounds great. So then we had to kind of try and bring them on board. And that was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a journey as well. You know, everything sort of comes a lot of bumps and you just have to be dynamic and force your way through. And then once they were on board, we did what's called presenting a film market And there's only a few film markets a year and one of them is in Berlin. And given we were pitching this as a German speaking language film, that made sense. And of course, Ed and Malta being sort of German, that was, that was important. So as soon as we did that, Netflix, it was kind of like a bidding war, really all the phone calls were coming in and Netflix were, like we want this and a large part of that was you know the title of quiet edwards vision malta's quality as a producer and our script so you have the all of these entities which create a value and they say we get this this is what we want to do and they came in and they funded the whole thing
0: and you you've spoken in other interviews about how being a world champion triathlete has actually helped you in some ways. Some people uh, in unexpected places do recognize that and it can kind of help you get your, your foot in the door. And it also sounds like, I mean, maybe the ability to, to keep going when things seem really bad could also be very helpful in, in both worlds. Is, is that the case?
1: Oh, big time. Because I mean, you're you're facing so much adversity as an athlete all the time. And you're having to be dynamic and you're having to use all the sort of little brain tools to keep on going uh, and overcome and build resiliency um, the dedication piece you know breaking things down into bits um, taking failures learning from them growing from them all of those things I mean I've had a long career in sport and of course I've dealt with chronic Lyme disease I've dealt with a lot of it in injuries Uh, you know won my first world title in 2011 and then 2012 and then didn't win again until 2018 so you know I've kind of done the whole gamut of being at the very very top and the very very bottom um so you you I think you just become incredibly resilient and that's the that 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 kind of ability to persist is what you need in film and everyone's telling you no you have to have a true sense of, of why you're doing it um, and I I knew why that was in sport. And so as long as I know why that is in film, that keeps you going.
2: And what about people you met in the film world? Is there anyone you've met that you were like, man, you would be really good at triathlon or like anyone you've been able to dupe into a morning run with you or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'd love to get Tom Cruise to do a triathlon. He'd be <laughs> epically awesome. Apparently he wanted to do one. Um, and then Kate Hudson wants to do one as well. So I'm going to try and reach out to her. And see, I, I really want to try and get her to do the Challenge Athletes Foundation one. Yeah. La mm-hmm. uh, with Bob Babbitt, because I'm really close with Bob. Um. So we'll see. It'd be nice to get some celebs into it, and you know, I think most people, if they're at the top of their field, they understand that it's mastery of craft that's gotten them there, and that's what they love and enjoy, and that's where their passion is. So anything they apply themselves to, they're going to focus on that piece of it. So triathlon would be the same.
0: Oh, I can't wait till this happens. I I think you're going to get it done. Earlier, you spoke about like the lack of control when you're, when you're, when you're going for a race, you have a little bit more control over the outcome of the race, but when you're going for something like an Oscar, you, you don't, it's judged. And so can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, like how that feels when it's, when it's so subjective?
1: It's, you have to find other ways to be strong and to find success um because if you go off everyone else's opinion um an assessment of either where you're at a project how they feel about it then you know while you have to be cognizant of what they're saying and why they're saying it you also have to be able to brush it off a little bit and and again stay true to what you believe that project what the vision is why you're doing it um, yes, you have to stay really, really strong to your why. Uh, otherwise, you'll get overcome by the negativity of not having that control. And um, but also seeing it sort of almost statistically, like it takes so many no's to get to a yes. Um, and that's just the way it is. So if you kind of focus on that piece of it, like okay, great, I've got another no out of the way. On to the next one. Now I'm one step closer. You know. So it's just recalibrating, and you know, uh yeah reframing sort of how you how you view that
2: and what about the shift in kind of lifestyle going from athlete life which has always been you know very structured very routine you know pretty cut and dry in terms of objectives and outcomes for the day with your training and then you know stepping into I think over the last 15 years has probably evolved to be more and more part of your daily life where it's like just very unknown and you're kind of Figuring it all out. You know, in the past few months, a lot of your days have probably been very unknown of what's to come. So do you prefer the structure and the routine? Or is this something where you're like, no, I love this. I'm I'm thriving here. Yeah, I think, you know,
1: any situation I go into, I seek a structure. So you kind of find a way to create your own one, even if there isn't one. Um, so when it comes to kind of producing and screenwriting, you know, you set yourself goals just like you would in sports you know whether that's reading goals or you know for each project that we have there's certain tasks that you want to do in order to move the needle forward whether that's you know on the writing of the script on the development of the script on the names you're going to go out to you know there's a sort of a strategy um you know and you're always kind of thinking about how to be dynamic about how to get projects for you know moving forward so in that regard, you just have to create your own structure. Um, and you know the further we are on in this, the easier that is because you can see the path. The hardest time to create that structure <clears throat> it was early when you don't really understand what the path is. But I think now we're really starting to see where that path is. So it's making it easier.
0: Leslie, thank you so much for, for creating an incredible film and we definitely encourage all of our listeners to, to watch it if they haven't already, but we're also so excited that, you know, you still are part of the triathlon world. And I think that that's like, that's just very cool for us that we get to root for you and, you know, at the Oscars, but then hopefully maybe at a local race where you bring some of your, uh, your high performing friends with you in the future. So <laughs> we're, we're yeah. happy you're, you're still around and we're still, you're still part of, uh, both communities.
1: Oh, big time. I don't think that's in my soul. You know what it's like, girls, the triathlon community. It's just who we are, isn't it? It's where our friends and family are, and I'll always be doing something. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a wonderful intersection in life, you know, so I'm, I'm happy to still be a part of it.
2: Thanks so much to Leslie for taking the time and talking to us. And Haley, okay, our listeners are dying to know, what is the cowboy connection to this?
0: Okay. So cowboy does not love intense movies <laughs> and so or TV shows. And we're talking like intense for him is head lasso. Like, I think <laughs> it has to be me. Like it has to be my reaction. So all quiet on the Western front is a quite intense movie. And I do think watching it, I had to watch it in like 30 minute segments, which is not how I recommend it. And ultimately I think I ended up putting him in my office and then like shutting two doors. So he couldn't hear through the two doors. And so I could like watch it in peace, which I feel so terrible doing, but it's, it's my reaction. I'm like a terrible movie watcher. Like I love watching movies. I love them, but I'm someone who's like pretty jumpy, who gasps a lot. And that is too much for cowboy. He tries to block the TV, like either stand in front of it or stand in front of me. Like he knows it's the TV that is causing me issues. And, um, it's, it's a little annoying, but also kind of charming.
2: Yeah. It's so endearing. He's trying to just be the best, like, you know,
0: woman's best friend that he can possibly be. It's like, so, so cute. I know it, it is kind of cute. Cause he just doesn't want me to be afraid or stressed. And it's hard to explain to him that I do this on purpose. Like I, <laughs> I, I like this feeling, but, um, I'll add that, you know, the NCAA women's basketball was a lot for him. That one I had to, I, he, now he knows, um, like he like plants his feet when like, Um, I'm going to like shove him into the office and he's like a hundred pounds. But this morning watching the Boston marathon, he, he was giving me looks like, especially when, uh, Yashina fell. Cause I did, I was like, (gasps) And he gave me like a warning. Look, like if you, if your <laughs> blood pressure goes up anymore, I'm going to make you like, I'm going to block the TV. And I'm like, no, no. So I have to like, try to stay calm. Maybe it's like good It'll teach me how to like meditate while I watch TV. So Seriously, I, can watch, yeah. I can watch like exciting sports events without, um, him, uh, interrupting, but it's I was like, like hypnotizing yourself into like, yeah. Controlling,
2: the uh, the heart rate and the breathing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so cowboy, not a fan of the um exciting sports finishes, even if we are. But but so cool to to hear some more about uh, the Oscars from Leslie. I think that's such a, a unique uh, perspective that I never thought we would get on Iron Women. So I feel very honored.
2: I know it really was a treat, and we are grateful again. Thank you, Leslie, for coming on, telling us all of the good stuff that we wanted to find out about, and now have a connection to. And Haley, I. Yes, I will chat with you next week after my next race.
0: Yeah, good <laughs> luck. This one's short. Fast and furious. Go fast. Have fun. <laughs> Thanks, Haley. Bye. You've been listening to the Iron Women podcast, hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Lydia Russell and produced by Ellen Titian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, stories, and fresh perspectives.